0: And welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode
1: filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. On today's episode, we're going to talk about thrifty tips to save money while sewing. We'll share ideas for storing your works in progress, how to make a birthday quilt, and then I'll chat with Holly Ann Knight of String and Story, who shares tips for free motion quilting, tips for staying healthy while sewing, and what a stash culture is. So let's dive in. I'm here with Elizabeth Stumbo, the designer of American Patchwork and Quilting. Today, we're going to be talking about thrifty sewing tips.
0: That's right, Lindsay. So we know that sewing can be an expensive hobby. So any tips we can get for saving a little bit of money here and there are extremely helpful.
1: Absolutely. So we've asked our Facebook readers for their best money-saving tips and want to share some of their best ideas here with you today.
0: The simplest way to save money is to take care of your supplies. Quilting supplies are an investment, and if you're kind to them, they will last longer, so you don't need to replace them as often. For example, cutting mats, especially the larger sizes, can be an expensive investment. However, if they are taken care of properly, they can last for years. So be sure to store your cutting mats in a place where they won't bend or warp. We suggest storing them and storing them flat or hanging them vertically. I know when I first started quilting, I was definitely guilty of not doing this. And I've ended up with more than one cutting mat with a big warp and bend in the middle, which is not fun to try and cut on top of. <laughs> right. So now I like to hang my cutting mats from a pant hanger um, that has clips from uh, my closet. So make sure to also clean your cutting mat when it's dirty. If you need to clean just a small area quickly, you can simply rub an eraser over the fibers that are stuck on the mat to remove them. And if your cutting mat needs a deep clean, you can use a soft bristle brush, room temperature water, and just a few drops of mild detergent to gently clean your mat. Rinse and then wipe dry with a towel.
1: Yeah, and you should also keep the caps on your marking tools and your glues and store your threads, fabrics, and notions out of the sun and out of the humidity. The sun can actually fade your fabrics and make your thread brittle and humidity of course can cause mold or rust your supplies.
0: And don't forget about your sewing machine. More than likely, it's your biggest quilting investment and it needs regular cleaning and oiling to keep running smoothly. So refer to your machine manual for the basics on how to do this, but keeping your machine dust free and the insides of your machine clean from lint will keep it humming perfectly. If you're not comfortable cleaning or oiling your machine yourself, you can find a dealer, a local quilt shop, Or a repair store who can do it for you. Or if you're lucky like me, you can just give it to your mom to clean. (laughs) Uh, I own a vintage Singer Featherweight. And my mom loves nothing more than cleaning and oiling it at every one of our family quilt retreats. So I'm a little spoiled.
1: I can send my machine to your mom too. (laughs) I'm sure she'd love it. (laughs) And then don't forget to change your needle every eight hours of sewing. You don't want a broken needle or a dull needle messing up your machine's tension.
0: We know it's not the most fun to clean your supplies, but taking time now and to do it regularly will help them last longer and save you money in the end.
1: Yep, all great tips. So the next way many of our readers save money is by changing their shopping habits. I know uh, I'm sure a lot of you listeners just um, cried a little tears <laughs> at hearing that. <laughs> um, but a lot of them said they were opting to use their stash instead of buying new fabric. And I do really love this idea. I think it's a fun challenge to make a quilt using only fabric you already own. It allows you to stretch your creativity and make a dent in your stash at the same time.
0: That's right. And so many people save even the tiniest of scraps to use in their quilts. That way they're not wasting any fabric at all. And we actually have a lot of really great scrappy quilt patterns on our website. So we'll be sure to link them down in the show notes.
1: Another way that our readers changed their shopping habits was by cutting down on impulse purchases and only buying exactly what they need. I know I definitely have the problem of walking into a quilt store and walking out with things I have no plan for, but Elizabeth, you actually have a lot of self-control when you're shopping.
0: Yes, I am definitely more of a minimalist when it comes to my stash. Um, It's so tempting, though, to purchase every pretty fat quarter I see in stores But I really learned that I prefer to shop with specific projects and my needs in mind. It actually kind of stresses me out to purchase fabrics that I don't have a plan for, knowing that I'm spending money on fabric that may never get used. So to help me from making these impulse purchases, I take my pattern and swatches with me when I'm shopping at my local quilt shops. And this really stops me from having to guess about yardage and coordinating colors with fabrics I already have in my stash.
1: Yeah, and sometimes changing your shopping habits can just mean changing what you buy. So we heard from one reader who stopped buying a variety of thread colors. She now only buys large spools of light, medium, and dark thread to fit all of her needs. So that's really smart.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea. Pretty much covers all of your basics there. Mm -hmm. And you can also try checking out thrift stores for sewing supplies. Sometimes you might get lucky and find donated supplies or fabric. And you can also make quilts from one hundred percent cotton clothing, reuse buttons from shirts from your projects, for your projects, or even take apart throw pillows to reuse the pillow forms on the inside.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea. I know I make pillow covers all the time, but the forms are so expensive. so anytime I can get them from somewhere else, it's really helpful. It's a good idea. So the last kind of main category we wanted to chat about today is paying attention to details while you're sewing. So a common phrase you've probably heard is measure twice, cut once, and it's true. Taking a little more time to accurately cut and accurately sew can save both fabric and thread.
0: It's so true. I've definitely made mistakes when I've been in a hurry or just not paying attention, and then that's resulted in me having to purchase additional fabrics just to finish the project. So I would recommend that if you're trying a new technique... Try making a test block first with some old fabrics so you don't make a mistake using your real fabrics. I try and do this every time I start a new foundation paper piecing project just to help me wrap my brain around the process again without wasting my precious fabrics.
1: Great idea. So we just briefly talked about some of the broad categories for saving money or preventing yourself from spending more money, But we know there are a lot of other ways to save money while sewing. So, Elizabeth, do you have any extra tips you want to share? Well,
0: I'm a big fan of fabric swaps. So you can get your quilting friends together and host a little swap party, have everyone bring fabric that they no longer want, and you can kind of share the wealth. A fabric that you no longer love or need might be just what your friend is looking for. It's like a free shopping spree for everyone, and I love it. (laughs) This also works great for supplies and patterns and can be a really fun activity to try at your next quilt retreat.
1: Love it. And I always piece my batting scraps together, and I use a three-step zigzag stitch on my machine um, to do that. So that way I can use all my leftover batting pieces. Thanks so much for sharing these tips with me, Elizabeth. You're welcome. And listeners, if you have any great thrifty tips, email them to us at apqtips at meredith.com for a chance to be featured. And also, if you visit our show notes, we'll link to all of our Facebook readers' responses for their thrifty sewing tips so you can get even more great tips there. We'll be back after this quick ad break.
0: Hey folks, it's Hunter Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Food & Wine. This fall, we're launching the new Food & Wine Classic in Charleston with our partners at Southern Living and Travel and Leisure and we wanna see you there. This incredible three-day culinary experience will showcase the hospitality, food, drinks, and culture of one of our favorite cities in the country. Join us September 27th to 29th to learn more from iconic chefs, share a glass with innovative wine experts, and get to know Charleston with one-of-a-kind experiences curated by the experts at food and wine, Southern living, and travel and leisure. Tickets are on sale now at foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. That's foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. See you down in Charleston.
1: I'm back with Elizabeth for Get Organized, a segment where we give storage tips for your sewing space. So what are we talking about today, Elizabeth?
0: Well, today I wanted to talk about ideas for storing your WIPs or your works in progress. So if you've been quilting for a few years, you probably have at least a couple of unfinished projects lying around. Personally, I have at least three projects in progress at home that I've started and stopped working on multiple times over the years. So how do we keep our in progress projects and materials organized so we can easily pick them back up right where we left off, even if it's years later? So my first suggestion is to store each work in progress in its own container. Keeping your projects separate makes it easy to find when you're, ready, when you're finally ready to start working on them again. The type of container you use is completely up to you and your space, but we do have some suggestions for you. So The most obvious choice might be plastic storage bins or project totes. They come in a variety of sizes and colors, so you can easily select one that fits best for your space. I personally love to use clear bins because I can quickly see at a glance what projects are inside. And, if you have a lot of works in progress, this might be a great storage solution for you because they're stackable. If you plan to store a project long-term in clear bins, just make sure to store them in a temperature-controlled area out of direct sunlight so the fabrics won't fade.
1: This is the one that I use the most often to store my works in progress. And it's mostly because these plastic bins are so readily available every, like at every craft store. They have them. They have huge sales. Yep. They're in multiple sizes. They're everywhere,
0: and they're just so easy to pick up and grab in a couple of them so they can stack on top of each other. Absolutely. They're great. Um, Simple tote bags and zipper pouches also make for great storage solutions for works in progress. I know that a lot of quilters who um, they upcycle those plastic bags that sheets and bedding come in. These are great because they're inexpensive and lightweight options that can easily be taken to quilt retreats or stored in drawers. However, this may not be the best storage choice if you have projects with smaller units because things can easily shift inside the bags.
1: Yeah, and just a note on that, if you're using a plastic bag, you want to make sure it has holes in it Mm. because if you have your project in a humid place, it can form moisture on the inside. So you just want to make sure it can breathe.
0: That's a good point. Um, And then the next one is to store them in drawers or trays. So when you're actively working on a project, a removable drawer or like a large serving tray can help keep your cut fabrics and piece units organized and all together. You can then easily transport everything on the tray back and forth between your workstation and your storage area. So in our offices, we have a large commercial-grade baker's rack that I would say probably holds about 15 trays, and everyone on staff has their own tray labeled, and we can pretty much store whatever we want on that tray. So it's great for those projects where we just have a few minutes to work on them. We can just pick them up and transport them to a station. Um, So it also creates great great vertical storage, um, and it also just keeps everyone's trays organized and separate. But an inexpensive version of this that you can use at home is just a large cookie tray. Um, Just be sure to purchase one that has edges all the way around so your things don't, like, roll off the edges. Great tip. Okay, so then if you have a finished quilt top that's just sitting around waiting to be quilted, or you have some rows that you've started assembling, um, a great place to store these is just on a simple clothes hanger. You can store them vertically in your closet. It can hold a lot of them um, without taking up a lot of space, and these just help to prevent creasing and wrinkles while also freeing up space from your design wall.
1: So let's talk about storing your works in progress now. So after you pick your container, what's the next step?
0: So yeah, once you've chosen that container, just remember to include not just your fabric and your sewn units, but also the pattern, any special templates or rulers you've been using, um, even specialty threads. So and if you've also bought backing or binding fabric specifically for that project, It's a good idea to also store them with your project instead of just adding them back into your stash where they could accidentally get used for something else. Uh, Sometimes I even go as far as to pre-cut my binding ahead of time um, just to avoid accidentally using it later down the road. Plus, I love like every time I get in, I open up that drawer, that container to look at my work in progress. I see that binding already cut and ready to go. And it tends to help to motivate me a little bit to help me finish that work in progress.
1: Yeah. And besides the binding, I would add a label, too. So if you make your label and your binding right away, because I know sometimes when you're working on a work in progress and you've been working on it a long time and you get to the end, you want to finish it as quickly as possible. So having those things ready will just take the pain out of the finishing a exactly. little bit.
0: I think that's one thing a lot of people forget to add at the end of their quilt as a label. And that can make such a difference, especially if you're gifting it. Um, and so then if you, if you find that you won't be working on a project for a while, it could also be helpful to just leave a note inside the container about what step in the pattern you were last working on. And maybe if you had plans for a specific color placement or even how you plan to quilt this, go ahead and not, like jot those all down so you have those. So when you pick it up the next time, it's right there, ready to go. You'll remember where you left off. Um, you can even make note of any specific stitches you were using, including like stitch width and length.
1: I think that's a particular stumbling block for a lot of people when they come back to a work in progress because... They need to figure out, again, where they are. They need to remember the plan they had for it. And when you're working on it years later, you kind of lose that passion and that vision. So having good notes about that can help you pick up a little faster.
0: Yep. It'll save you a lot of time. Yep. Okay. And my last tip is to... Remember to label the outside of the container so you can easily find what you're looking for. This is especially helpful if you're one of those people that have multiple works in progress going at the same time. Um, Be sure to include the quilt pattern, maybe the designer name, and when you started working on it. I also find it helpful to write down the name of the fabric collection or the fabric company just in case you need to purchase or find more of that fabric at a later time. I know that this has happened to me multiple times over the years when I'm working on a project. I'll pick it up later, realize I made a mistake or I want to add borders and make it a little bit bigger. And I just I forget which like, fabric collection that was, especially if you've already cut out your pieces and that information is missing from the binding. So just taking a little bit of time at the beginning to write down this information can save you a lot of frustration in the future.
1: Thank you so much for those tips. We're all going to be pros at storing our... Or multiple works (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) For today's Ask Us Anything, I want to talk about something I get asked on my Instagram account all the time. It's about my birthday projects. So let me explain a little bit about what a birthday project is. So a few years ago, I turned 29. And I wanted a way to document the last year in my 20s and to really make each day count. Life goes by so quickly, and I didn't want another year to blur by. I wanted to be grateful for each moment and see the happiness and magic that surrounds us. I know that sounds cheesy. And at the time, Instagram was taken by storm by the 100 Hexes in 100 Days Challenge, started by So Foxy Mama. And I loved the idea of doing something creative and small every day. And as someone who has never done English paper piecing, I thought it was the perfect way to challenge myself to learn something new. I made one hexagon for each day of my year 29. I fussy cut most of the hexagons using fabrics from my stash or ones that I borrowed from friends. (laughs) I only needed a two and a half inch square for each hexagon, so the friends were happy to help out with that small amount of fabric. Some of the hexagons were very specific like a home for when we closed on our new house, or an eagle for when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And some were more about feelings, like bright yellow for a very happy day. And of course, there were a ton of cat hexagons, because honestly, most of my nights are cuddling at home with my cat Harvey. I kept track of a few highlights from each day in the Notes app on my iPhone, then would search for fabrics in my stash when I had time that kind of related to those things I had done each day. I labeled the back of each of my paper templates for the hexagon with the date so I could keep them all organized throughout the year. I sewed the hexagons into grandmother's flower garden blocks so each flower was seven hexagons or one week of my life. Once they were all sewed together, I pieced each week on a foundation then pieced the blocks together to form a small throw. It was such a meaningful quilt to finish. The quilt reads like a calendar and each fabric holds a special memory so I can look at it and relive a year in my life. I loved that project so much that once I turned 30, I decided to do another quilt. I wanted my 30th year to be just as special. So this past year, I've made 30 total improv blocks. I'd never done improv blocks, so as a rule follower, I was really hoping my year of improv blocks would open me up to new experiences and encourage me to take chances. I learned a lot about myself, and while I tried my hardest to get out of my box, I did end up making all my blocks the same size and using a controlled color palette. (laughs) But I did feel like this project pushed my boundaries. My 31st birthday is next week, so I'm finishing up my 30th improv birthday quilt now. It will be such a special memento of the year. So have you ever done a project like this before? Or do you have any ideas for what I should do for my 31st year? Reach out to me on my Instagram account at lindsmayland, that's L-I-N-D-S-M-A-Y-L-A-N-D, to let me know all your ideas or to share pictures of other special calendar quilts or birthday quilts you may have done. I would love to see them. We'll be back after this quick ad break. So I'm so excited to chat with our guest on today's show. Holly Ann Knight from String and Story is a machine quilter, pattern designer, educator, co-founder of the nonprofit Quilts for Cure and a wellness advocate. Through her social media feeds, Facebook Live videos, blog posts, and classes, she's inspiring all quilters to be rock stars and live with confidence. Besides all those things, she is a mom to two boys. Ann and I have been Instagram buddies for a few years now, and I love her positive attitude, ability to keep it real, and how she inspires all those she's interact with to try new things and grow as a quilter. Thank you so much for being on our podcast, Ann. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Okay, so why don't you give a little bit of background about how you became a quilter
2: Mm -hmm. and how your business has evolved over the years? Yeah, absolutely. So I started quilting. I always struggle to know exactly when it was because a previous iteration of the business happened before the quilting happened. But I started quilting about the time my first son was born, which was almost five years ago. And ironically, it was not a baby quilt that like got me into quilting. So it was like the right timing, but like the wrong narrative to fit within you know that usual framework. Um, but my mom actually wanted a T-shirt quilt. And she, you know, started talking about it. And I had had a friend who would had one done, did a little research and she was like, I don't know, like, that's maybe more than I was thinking of spending and because it was something we were unfamiliar with. Right. And so I was like, well, I'm at home with a kid. Pretty bored let me see what's going on because he was still in that potato stage you know like when they're first <laughs> born and like all they do is sleep and he was a great sleeper praise god so I was like I need to keep busy so my mom trusted me with like 15 years worth of like commemorative t-shirts from all the things and I googled how to make a t-shirt <laughs> 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 and found how to make a ragspearl cult I literally borrowed this tiny little kid more from a friend of mine and started taking a ruler and a Sharpie and drawing squares. I didn't even think to like cut out a cardboard template. Like that would have been so intelligent. But at the same time with that, I went to the library and checked out every book on culting they had because I am a nerd and books, even if I don't use the books, having the books is like the comfort blanket of how I'm learning the thing. So all they had, of course, was Angela Walters books, which, spoiler, I don't recommend trying to like be Angela Walters on a rag style t-shirt quilt, that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, but it it gave me this little glimpse into this whole wide world of like more modern quilting, and through that I discovered that these things called rotary cutters exist. But I had no idea about rulers. I just knew about the cutter. <laughs> so, my husband comes home. This is still like all the first quilt. I'm on the coffee table. I had this like old paper cutting mat that had like a slice down the middle of it, so it only kind of sort of worked. And I have my metal art ruler and a rotary cutter, and I am, like, in the process of taking off the tip of my finger, like, (laughs) such a bad, disastrous thing, It glues me back together, I finished the quilt, but I was hooked, like, missing fingertip and all, like, was totally hooked on, this is a cool thing, that I could take one thing and turn it into something else, and looking back now, like, it just seems, like, so obvious to me that at some point, there was going to be an entry point into quilting in my life, um, because I had like bought fabric in high school having no idea like what to do with it. Like I always would like go pet the fabric at any store I ever went to and just didn't know like the quilting was even still a thing or like how to get into it or anything like that. So I just began exploring and experimenting and basically I'm totally self-taught and just use the world wide web because thank heavens for that. And it's quickly became a pivot in the existing business that I had. So I had this very tiny little Etsy shop where I did like watercolor, stationery and knitting, which like the knitting in particular, that is like real hard to make it go out as a business because it's like $2 an hour by the time you're all the way done with it. But it got me going into this kind of entrepreneurial mindset. And then it pivoted into these t-shirt quilts. I learned how to use a rotary cutter properly so that I no longer remove my fingers. Um, and then ultimately like bought my own sewing machine And kept on like going down this road. So uh, then like the next big pivot, if you will, was about two and a half, three years ago now. um, When I finally like got to go to my first quilt con and I like saw free motion quilting, like for real in the flesh in the fabric, whatever. Um, And it brought back all those memories of those library books that I had flipped through and everything I'd seen on Instagram since. And that was like a whole world that I'd been observing but hadn't fully figured out how to dive into at that point. And I came back from QuiltCon and was like, I want to learn this thing. And fortunately, I had a friend, Kristen Ether, who was like, why don't we like do this as a blog hop? So a bunch of us got together and we committed like for 10 weeks that every week we blog about free motion quilting. And so we had to learn something new every week.
1: (laughs) And with (laughs) that,
2: I committed to practicing four to five days a week for like 30 minutes. I was like, if I just show up, surely something will happen. And what I didn't know would happen is that I would become completely hooked, that I would go from like not being able to free motion quilt worth anything to learning about tension and about all these motifs and realizing like a system for free motion quilting that was replicatable. Like by the end of it, I was like, oh my gosh, this thing really worked and the way I tackled this worked and this is going to become the next thing. And that's become what is now my big signature course, Free Motion Quilting Academy, which is where my business currently is. (laughs) And what I'm really passionate about is allowing women to realize and helping women to realize that free motion quilting doesn't have to be so terrifying and that they can actually be a quilting rock star. And then taking them through that very same journey that I took from being terrified and having no idea what the heck I was doing to like putting feathers all over everything. And it's amazing. And I have the best job in the world, basically. Oh, I love it. So you have taught a
1: lot of people to machine quilt over the years, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of reasons why people
2: are afraid to dive in. Can you share some of those with us? Oh my gosh. Um, How much time do you have? Because I've heard literally every reason. (laughs) Um, So the the biggest one generally is I don't want to wreck my quilt, which like that's so legitimate. Like every time I hear this, I'm like, first of all, yes and amen. Like I don't want you to wreck your quilt either. And I understand that if you're just getting started and all you know is like that one time you sort of kind of tried to do something on a practice sandwich and you ended up with like a broken needle and your timing being out versus like seeing finished cults at a cult show. Like if those are the only two extremes that you know, like, yeah, I get why you're scared. So that's the first one. And so, you know, the first solution to that one is to take a class, right? And I'm really passionate about online education because it means that you can go back to it over and over again. and. I do think there's something magical about being in the same room as a teacher, uh, but it's only magical for the three or six hours that you're there, and then you have to go home and try to figure out, like, what the heck happened in class, and can you replicate it at home, which is particularly difficult if you're not on your own machine during that class. So I love being in online education so people can watch the resources over and over again. Um, I also teach people that we always practice on paper before we ever touch your beautiful quilt top. And by the time you're ready to quilt something, you may have put hundreds of hours into piecing it, not to mention like all the time of like practicing your piecing and getting to this point of having a quilt that you're like ready to invest the time to free motion quilt in. And by practicing on paper and making a quilting plan, so deciding what to quilt where ahead of time, decisions take enormous amounts of brain, en- like brain energy. So using that energy on paper, um, drawing it all out, it's using um a pen and paper to draw your motifs, it's the same muscle memory that you're going to use to quilt. And that's basically the same principle as using handwriting. So I'm like, look, if you can write your name, like I can teach you how to free motion quilt. And, you know, I have yet to have anybody fail. So uh, I guide people through that drawing process so that by the time we're touching their quilt top, they're not scared anymore. Like we deal with all the fear on paper. Um, The other big thing that I hear is like, people don't think their machine can do it. Um, and I'm like, well, the first time I free motion quilted was on the tiny Kenmore. And then I got an off the shelf Singer that I was using until literally six months ago. And now I quilt on an industrial machine and a long arm. So like there's this wide range of possibilities. and I always recommend that people at least try. I never want anyone to feel like they need to go down to their local dealership and buy some giant machine just to try something new. Like that is too high a threshold of entry for me. And you may get on your small domestic machine and you may not be thrilled with the stitch quality. You may find it to be hard work to get through that kind of exceptionally small throat space. But it's more important to figure out, do I like this thing? And do I actually want to make a further investment first? So start where you are, even if you feel like you have to start on smaller quilts. Um, other big objections are the time factor. So that's why I've designed a class that's systematic and it's eight weeks long, six weeks of content. Um, because if you take two months and you invest just like two hours a week, which is not that much time, that's like 30 minutes a night, Monday through Thursday, like go do your 30 minute workout that our doctors are always telling us to do. And then take the next 30 minutes of free motion quilt, like earn your quilting time. That's an hour of like me time, four times a week. If you do your workout and your quilting <laughs> workout <laughs> optional, um, <laughs> and it's just not that it's not that big of a thing overall but you know I took a poll I take a lot of polls and ask what people think because I think that's so fascinating and I was amazed at how many people on this poll thought that they needed to spend two hours a day quilting in order to figure this out and I was like honey ain't nobody got that kind of time like nobody and if you have that kind of time like good for you you're going to be a rock star like next Thursday but for the rest of us you know we need to break this up and make it manageable so those are probably the three biggest things like I'm gonna wreck my quilt my machine can't do it and I don't have the time and yet really those are excuses we make because we're just scared but when it comes to quilting like it simultaneously is this super important thing but at the same time like it's also just quilting like it's fabric and it's batting and there's a lot of fabric and batting and thread in the world And if you're enjoying the process then even the time that's spent learning something new, like that's valuable time. Exactly. And I think like
1: for even me, but I've heard this from other quilters too, that they want to be good at it right away. So right. And you're not, yeah. And you're not, you have to practice. For some reason, even though like you started with a Sharpie, and a scissors mm-hmm. on your quilting and you learned the process, I think we just <gasps> think we should be able to start machine quilting and be perfect at it right away because we know how to do the rest right. of the quilting process.
2: Right. And, and we forget how many hours we've put in to the rest of the quilting process. And we forget that in general, there's, there's probably some other life skill that we brought into quilting that made it easier. You know, maybe we touched a sewing machine as a kid, like sitting with our mom or our grandma. And so that's not a totally foreign thing. Or cutting. Like we all learned to cut in like kindergarten, right? So we come in with these life skills on the piecing side. You know, we've all been choosing outfits forever. So we have an idea of what colors and patterns that we like as we're putting fabric together. We're using a pattern that someone, bless them, has done the math for us. Because really, is there anything like harder than quilt math? No. <laughs> um <laughs> But so we, we forget that when it comes to free motion quilting, we bring skills to that too. We treat it like this whole other thing, but you know, we have learned to drive, which is incredible hand-eye coordination. We've learned to write, which is incredible hand-eye coordination. And that's what free motion quilting is. Um, and it still means like, you're going to suck when you first get started. Like first time I started driving, like literally the words out of my mother's mouth were watch out for that mailbox. It's break. Like, <laughs> and just like that, like when you start free motion quilting, like, watch out for that. It's your finger, you know, watch out. You're about to run off the edge of your coat, whatever it may be. There's always those moments, but leaning into that and realizing that practice makes progress. It's kind of the only way through it and looking at your work and comparing it to any of the great free motion quilters is unfair to you and to them because they've put in thousands of hours of practice and you're just getting started. So be patient with yourself and remember how many times your kids or your grandkids fell on their bum trying to learn to walk. And you're probably going to learn free motion quilting faster than that. So it's going to be okay. (laughs) One of the reasons I really love following you
1: is because not only are you educating people about making the most beautiful finishes on their quilts, Mm -hmm. but you're also really interested in the process and making sure that quilters Mm -hmm. are taking care of their bodies and their minds Mm -hmm. while they're quilting. And I just think it's really important and inspiring to hear you talk about that because not a lot of people do talk about that stuff in terms Mm -hmm. of quilting. So what kind of practices do you have to keep healthy?
2: Yeah. So what I didn't mention as part of my journey so far is at the same time that I was kind of lonely at home with my newborn is I didn't realize it was my first son then. Um, It became extremely apparent with my second son about, my kids are 14 months apart. So I had kids very close together. Excuse me. And after that second one, um, it became very apparent that I had extreme postpartum depression. Like I was really, really sick for about three years after Ian was born. Um, And just for reference, Ian is now three and a half. So this has been like a very long and very recent journey. And quilting was a huge part of how I stayed sane during that. And it was my safe place. It was essentially where my sweet husband, who would like put me in timeout to go quilt. He would be like, I love you. You are struggling. Like, please go quilt. Like, it's going to (laughs) help. And as I began to find what worked for me, I couldn't help but share it. So there were a few things. One, using quilting as a community was so important. I think this is something that, I mean, basically every quilter I know is passionate about this, but like, quilting is so often a solo activity. And I have so many beautiful rock stars in my audience that live in rural areas and getting together with quilts, other quilters in person is really, really hard, whether it's geography or they're like me and they have kids at home. Like, even though this is what I do for work, I still don't actually see quilters in real life all that often because I have two little kids and I have to be really selective about the travel that I do. Um, So being able to build online community and create genuine connection with people. Um, And even yesterday, one of my sweet rock stars, she was sharing with us about her hip replacement from last week. And just like, I literally said to her online, I was like, what an honor that you feel so comfortable in this community that you would share something that that's truly so personal, right? And I just consider it such an honor to be doing life alongside these fellow quilters. So that's the first thing is it helps so much, like with my own loneliness, and I know it can help with others, Um, and I also began to realize through that community how many other quilters started this journey as part of a mental health healing process, and it's something that I think the conversation more broadly is becoming more and more common, uh, but it's something that I was like, let's bring this specifically into the quilting world, and let's talk about mental health, so other things that made a huge difference in my journey was Learning about like how to take care of myself physically, so I talk a lot about healthy eating. I post a lot of pictures of crazy salads um, on Instagram, which like shout out to the sweet quilter who sent me a message and was like, um, "Is it a normal thing in the U.S. to put bananas on a salad?" <laughs> I'm like, no, that's just me thing. <laughs> so you know, I love sharing the healthy food that I'm eating and inspiring others to make healthy choices and to do that in a way that is accessible, because let's be honest, we love our crockpots as quilters, and I am all for the crockpot. So anything that I can do to help other quilters eat well while they're, you know, lost in their world of stitching. Um, I love talking about yoga and other forms of moving our bodies, because quilting is so sedentary, and that's really difficult on our circulatory systems. It's also not really good for, like, keeping our bones and muscles healthy. So if I'm on a live, and it goes on for a while, I'll try to actually stop and stand up and be like, all right, everybody up, like, let's do this because it is not, I'm not serving my audience well, and I'm not serving other cultures, I'm not serving this community, if I'm not intentional about caring about all of them, right, and I just, I became so convicted about that, that I'm like, I, you know, I say that I love these cultures who are part of String and Story, and part of the quilting rock stars, but is that true if I don't care about all of them, if I don't care about the hip replacement, if I don't care about you know, do they have ways to make healthy food and make it accessible at home if I don't care about whether or not they're moving their bodies and encouraging to do that in a safe way, right? Um, And the final like big key piece, this is like the capstone of my journey that was kind of the last thing that I came to was discovering the world of essential oils. And I know that this is not something that everybody's passionate about. And it's not something that everybody wants to hear about. But it's been absolutely essential for my mental wellness. Um, Everything from diffusing oils to taking high quality supplements, like it was the thing that finally flipped the switch in the last year so that I could be Holly Ann again. Like literally six months ago, my husband looked at me and was like, it's really nice to have you back by the way. And it was such a long journey. Right. And just anything that I can do to offer that education to people who are interested, like I am all for it. And I put it all in the pot together because we're whole people like we're not quilters over here, and moms over here, and healthy people over here, and um, you know, natural wellness people over here. Like we are whole people all the time. And I think you're right. That's not something I see a whole lot of in the quilt. I mean, it's that's a that's a big bucket to try to carry around. Like I get why we don't see a whole lot of that, but it's something I became really passionate about. So it's something that I've created at String and Story. Oh,
1: I love that. Okay, so you wrote a blog post that really resonated with me. And I wanted to quickly share it with our listeners. It was called why quilters should ditch stash culture. And so I've been a quilter for eight years. I read this blog post. My stash is huge. I mean, I buy fabric all the time. Um, and I always feel you're around it all the time. It's, I know, so yeah, to it's, buy it. it's a problem. Um, but it's incredibly overwhelming. And I, I read your post and it just really resonated with me. And I just wanted you to quickly talk about why quilters might be hurting themselves with growing their stash.
2: Well, buckle up folks. Cause if you thought the essential oil comment was <laughs> controversial, like that was nothing. Um, <laughs> this is like arguably the least popular opinion that I possess. But so with that, like the disclaimer at the front of this is like, At the end of the day, it is up to every quilter what stash is right for him or her. And what I think is right for me is not the same as what's right for you or what's right for anybody listening. And my biggest desire with this blog post, and I I would say that about 90% of the people that have engaged with me over this blog post understood this, but I want to make sure everybody hears this. My biggest goal with this blog post was to start a conversation. Because whatever size your stash is, you may decide that the appropriate size stash for how you work is literally an entire room in your house. It could be an entire floor in your house. It could be the whole house. Whatever it is, I just want to make sure that we're having a thoughtful, engaged conversation about like, why is that the right decision? Is that the right decision for your quilting journey because you just can't tell yourself no in a quilt shop? Or is that the right decision because of this other, like, whatever your reasons are, if you've got reasons and you feel like your stash is just right, you go girl, like, more power to you, I will cheer for you all day long. But for those of us that have struggles around the topic of stash, um, I shared some of these thoughts you know, in the blog post and I really feel like stash culture is something that has evolved and that we simply accept. I and mean, here's what I mean by stash culture. Stash culture is simply that like, we can't help but buy fabric when we go into a fabric store. And I don't necessarily mean like fat quarter, I mean like if you go into a fabric store, You're coming out with something that you're going to hide from your husband. This kind of like, I can't help but buy it. And I can't help but buy it in large quantities mindset. This idea of, um, she who dies with the most fabric wins, right? Um, that whole concept of like more is always better. And that's, as I kind of entered the quilting world, that was very much the messaging that I was given around fabric is more is always better. And more recently, those critical questions kind of began to evolve a little bit more. So in addition to like, is it really healthy if we're buying so much fabric that we feel some level of shame over it? Whether we want to use the word shame or not, um, more than that, like, is it healthiest if we're caring about people as whole beings and caring about like the world as this whole thing, right? And we're looking at things, um, you know, to say it one more time, holistically, um, is it healthy to be asking our fabric designers to be cranking out two, three, four designs a year? Are we getting their best work? Are we honoring their creativity the best? If we're asking them to work on that kind of deadline, that by the time one fabric line comes out, they hardly remember it because they're three fabric lines down the road. Is that serving their creativity and their best joy and our community as a whole the best? Um, and then you know, zooming out even further, is that serving like the resources of our planet the best? To be making routinely manufacturing and asking people to buy more fabrics than anyone in the world. Like if if the whole world quilted. I kind of feel like it's literally the whole world quilted. We would still have plenty of fabric. That's (laughs) probably not true, but that's kind of how it feels. Um, I think our fabric shops would have to evolve, you know, one of the big pushbacks I get on this is what about fabric stores? Like, don't you expect them to make money? Like that's what they're doing. And I think the fabric stores and our industry as a whole would have to become more passionate about education than we are about physical products. Um, I'm all for physical products. I'm all for industry. I am all for the buying and selling of gorgeous things, but I'm all for doing that thoughtfully. And I think there's more, um, benefit for everyone involved to be more community and education oriented and for, um, you know, at the risk of it sounding kind of harsh, more people to be making their dollars there, right? That is a more renewable resource. And I think ultimately a more valuable resource than fabric. So it's things I've got a lot of thoughts about It's things that I get a lot of pushback about. I'm totally fine with that. Because again, like my whole desire with this is like, let's just start a conversation and let's take a look at like, how has our, um, you know, sewing and quilting industry been for thousands, hundreds, however many years we've kind of been in this space, and and just be willing to ask questions of, is this the best way, or is there a way that we actually could live with more abundance?
1: No, I appreciate you starting that conversation, and I think for me personally, it just made me think, like, when I started too, I, similar to you, like, I was buying fabric before I was a quilter, because I thought it was pretty, mm-hmm. and then one day I was right? like, well, I have all this fabric, I should use something. <laughs> Um, and right. I, I just kept that mindset of like every time I go into a quilt store, I want to support them, so I buy fabric.
2: Exactly.
1: And now yeah. I'm just looking through my stash. I have fabrics that I know I'll never use because they're not my style. Um, so that you'll you know, use those to learn how to free motion quilt. Yeah, those there you turn go. Into Practice sandwiches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I just think it's the idea, like you said, people yeah. get into quilting for joy. And if you have a fabric stash of fabrics that you maybe kind of love. Or you know they're not your favorite. Why why do you own those? Why are you buying those? You should love everything.
2: Right. Yeah, I agree. I one hundred percent agree. Okay, so why don't you
1: tell our listeners where they can connect with you? What you know exciting things you have coming
2: up that they can uh, learn more about you. Yes, so if I haven't totally scared you off with all my potentially controversial opinions, and maybe even if I have, I would be delighted to connect with you. Um, my big home online is stringandstory.com. You can find me across social media, so Facebook and Instagram, Pinterest, at String and Story. And it is just my passion and delight to guide you to quilt and to live with confidence. So right now, at the time of this recording, Free Motion Quilting Academy is on its last day of enrollment. So by the time y'all are listening, enrollment will be closed but I encourage you to follow along because there will be still lots of resources coming your way over the next few months and shortly after we get into 2020 enrollment will reopen. So it's a great opportunity to start following along and dip your toes into some of those beginner resources for free motion quilting. And also to you know maybe make some tops if you don't have a few lying around so that you're ready to roll. Uh, tops are not required for the class for what that's worth, but I always encourage people to try an actual quilt before our time together is over. Um, if you're interested in anything about wellness, all of that is also on my website. And if you want to head over to the blog about stash busting and tell me how wrong you think I am, that's totally fine too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Holly, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This was completely delightful i loved my chat with holly ann she is such a thoughtful and caring quilter and person and she really cares about making a connection with other quilters so visit our show notes to find resources to everything she talked about today and to connect with her online so before we leave i just wanted to mention an amazing subscription offer that we have for our podcast listeners Our podcast listeners can get 60% off a year subscription to American Patchwork and Quilting. So if that's on your holiday wish list, take advantage by visiting our show notes to find all the info.
0: Hi all, and thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, pinterest and instagram at all people quilt email us at apq at meredith.com resources for this week can be found at all people slash podcast and if you love the american patchwork and quilting podcast please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free and don't forget to rate and review the show it helps other quilters find us
1: have a creative week